All right, well, you can open up the Bible to the book of Proverbs. That's where we'll be today as we're in the middle of our summer of wisdom, walking through this book, learning all we can from it. My name is Dan Jarvis, one of the pastors here. I'm really glad you're attending with us, and I hope that whether this is your first time or 500th time at BCBC, um, you, will, you will find inspiration and hope and encouragement today. Um, so why don't we pray and get this thing started um, just with God's blessing on his word. So Lord, thank you so much that you have given us truth in the Bible that we can learn from, grow in, that you can, you've given us wisdom that we can apply directly to our lives. Would you give us that wisdom that we need from you today? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we've been walking through this series on Proverbs, there's a few different ways you can engage. You get the daily texts. If you want those, let us know. And read the daily proverb that connects with the day of the month. So today you could read Proverbs 24 and then just follow that through all the way to the end of August. Uh, we'll keep going with this. Kind of attend the services, of course, and discuss with God and others what you're learning. In Proverbs 1, we identified this as the purpose of the book and also the purpose of our study and why we would do a deep dive on Proverbs. God wants us to listen to wisdom, receive wisdom, and explore wisdom. That's why we would not just read this once and move past it, but why we want to sit in it for a while, really receive it, really explore it. So today we're going to have a little bit of fun walking through the pathway that Proverbs lays out for us that leads either to poverty or wealth. Now, there are lots of themes in Proverbs, right? Last week, I explained a little bit about this, that the first nine chapters of the book fall in kind of a narrative that you can follow, but once you hit chapter 10, it seems really random topically. And that's because it literally is a collection of wise sayings. So what we're doing between now and the end of the summer is collecting out of that collection some thematic groupings of those sayings so that we can learn about what God's wisdom is for various aspects of our lives. And today we get to talk about poverty and wealth, something we're all really interested in, I would imagine. I feel like this time of year, every two years, we all get treated to something I'm sure you're looking forward to, election season. Who's excited? Oh, well, um, you know, more postcards and more commercials you have to endure, right? I already know what I'm going to do, so don't send me all that stuff, but... Um, Poverty and wealth is usually a pretty big discussion point when it comes to national leadership, right? Because like, who's rich and why, and who's not rich and why not, and what should we do? Proverbs actually has a lot of wisdom about that. But the wisdom Proverbs will give us starts personally and then works itself out into communities and nations. So what we'll look at today is not necessarily as much what the Bible says to America, but what does the Bible say to you when it comes to poverty and wealth and your life adding up? So, you ready for that? Um, first, I thought we could define these terms a little bit. Poverty is not having enough to thrive, enjoy, or share. It's a state of want without satisfaction, having little or nothing saved for next steps, often dependent on others to meet basic needs. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing to be dependent on others at different seasons in life, but if the reason that you're dependent on others is because you won't work and you could, well, that is a problem, right? So we'll talk, we'll see in the scripture how God gives us direction about avoiding poverty 
and ultimately building its opposite, building wealth, having enough to thrive, enjoy, or share, a state of satisfaction, being rich with contentment, having adequate preparation for next steps, generally independent, right? And, and those of you who would say that over the course of your life you've grown in wealth, wouldn't you say that as you grow in wealth, you do grow in your ability to make your own decisions? Well, sure. I mean, that's what wealth affords to you. And so the more you have, the kind of the more freedom you end up having in a practical sense. So during election season, and probably at economics class, someone will bring up this question. What causes poverty in people's lives? Right? I mean, we all want everyone to be rich and happy, so when they're not, don't you kind of wonder why they're not? Um, so this question, though, I think actually is the wrong question. I don't think you'll arrive at any actionable wisdom if you ask it. Here's the question I think we should ask instead. What causes wealth? So think of this, if I said, what causes darkness? You'd say, well, I mean, darkness isn't exactly caused. Darkness is sort of what is if nothing else happens. You, what you really need to ask is like, where does light come from? Or if I said, let's, let's talk about why it gets cold, say, well, it's not exactly, like, from a science perspective, that's not really the right question. What would be the right question? Why is it getting hot, right? Because the heat is the energy. Cold is just if there is no energy. So poverty is when nothing's happening and you have nothing. Wealth is when you start to do something and you have something. So the better question that's going to lead to helpful wisdom is what actually drives wealth. You can kind of break it out. You can say, well, in a society, say, why are there wealthy countries and poor countries? Or in a community, I mean, you drive around and you can perceive it, right? You drive into one community and you're like, man, this place is like ritzy and well-to-do. You drive into another place and you're like, man, this place has a lot of needs. Like you just see it as you drive in. But then very personally, that's where Proverbs takes us, you know the difference between when you feel wealthier or feel more impoverished. So why does that happen? So we're going to start our journey in Proverbs 6. And what we'll do is we're going to actually look across Proverbs and find multiple evidences for the answer to this question. And we'll have a little bit of fun hopefully doing it. But I wanted to start by telling you a little story about the first day that I worked in the fast food industry. How many of you ever have worked in the fast food industry? You can hold your hand up proudly, right? We know it's a lot of work. I'm actually really grateful for you on days when I don't pack a lunch. I mean, I'm really glad you're out there. Um, so I worked for one day at a McDonald's, but it's not for the reason you think. Um, it actually was a really, really great experience. So I was, I was an assistant pastor at a church on Marco Island in Florida, and I was in charge of answering the phones this particular day. So the phone rang, answered it, and here it was somebody that said, hey, I'm from this uh, such and such national company, and I really have a problem, and I just need somebody to help me. Okay, um, what do you need? He said, well, I represent a group that coordinates people who facilitate taste testing at restaurants, um, and my guy just bowed out on me, and McDonald's in your community is expecting one of our employees to show up, and I don't have anybody in the area that I know. And he said, do you know anyone at the church who would like to make some money? I said, yes, I do. 
So they said, well, here's the deal. Like, you can go and you can eat some of the samples yourself and we'll give you $100 if you'll work for five hours. I said, great, sign me up for that. Sounds wonderful. So I drove over to the McDonald's and checked in. They gave me a McDonald's apron and a little badge and things and looked really official and set me out in the lobby of the McDonald's with um, a whole plate of McGriddles when it had first come out. And I was supposed to cut them in fourths and give them out as samples and talk to people. So I don't know what the usual way that happens is, but I, all I kind of knew how to do was to be a pastor. So started shaking hands, giving out food, saying hi to people, talking to people. There's kind of like little crowds gathering around the thing. We're talking about McGriddles and I'm kind of selling it and having fun with it. And, uh, you know, all the, all the kind of like zoned out teen employees behind the corner kind of looking at me like this, you know, and, uh, and I was having a blast. So five hours went by really quick. I thought I could do this. This is great. So the manager of the McDonald's came up to me and said, um, hey, you know, thanks so much for coming. Like, this, is, this, was, a, this was great. Um, you work for this company? I said, no, actually, I, I don't work for them. I was just helping them out today. They were like, do you need a job? I said, no, no, not, not really. Um, and uh, and the, ma- the manager of the McDonald's said, uh, hey, just so you know, if you ever need a job, we'll give you a job here. Um, which I guess it was just, I don't know, being friendly and smiling, you know, it was something that not normally they were getting out of their employees or something. And uh, so I still think of that as my backup plan in life, you know, <laughs> because I, I figure if it all falls apart here, there's worse, there's worse things I could imagine than giving McGriddles out at McDonald's on Marco Island in Florida. It's a great place. So um, it w- at the end of the experience, you know, they, they were all grateful and everybody was excited. And, and the manager just said, I just want to do something for you for helping us out so much. Um, look at the menu. I felt like Solomon when God asked, like, what do you want? He said, look at the menu. Anything you want, we'll give you for free for lunch. I thought, my goodness, this is a dream come true. I don't even know where to start. Um, <laughs> So I looked for, I don't know, whatever seemed expensive and thought, well, I'll try that. And uh, so it was, a, it was a really fun day. So my experience in fast food has been all nothing but positives. I'm really excited about it. And um, what I take from that experience, knowing that some people dread that kind of work and hate their lives when they clock in or something, um, is that a lot of times work is actually about your attitude more than about what actually is happening. Do you agree with that? Like you could have a job that someone else would say is a dream come true and yet you're not happy. And meanwhile, someone else could have a job that society might look at and say, who would ever want to do that? But you're thrilled, like you love your work. Because actually work isn't about what you're doing, it's actually about what you bring into it. And a lot of that's attitude before even you get to skills. So when we look at Proverbs, we're going to hear about the attitude that leads to wealth, but also we'll see the attitude and practice that leads to poverty. And we all get to pick which one we want to have living in our heart today. All right, so let's start in chapter six. Uh, We we went past this a couple weeks ago, and we said, I I didn't say we'll come back to it, because this is a a great text. I did not want to miss it. So we're going to look at this, and then we'll go into chapter 10 and go forward from there. This is a lesson from the ants. Chapter 6, verse 6. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. 
But you, lazy bones, how long will you sleep and when will you wake up? A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And then poverty will pounce on you like a bandit and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. Now, other than being called lazy bones, um, I really like this text, right? The, uh, I, I think about the ant and how it's true. If you, if you look at ants, you usually don't see ants, I don't know, suntanning, hanging out, playing video games. Usually, they're working when you see them, um, or they're dying when you see them. It depends on what you're doing. And when they are out there in the summer, what are they working on? Well, they're, they're finding the potato chip that you dropped and dragging it over to their little nest and breaking it apart and storing it for the winter. Like, they're thinking ahead. Interestingly, but based on verse 7, even though no one is sort of driving them, so you don't look around and see some ants with whips or some ants with like, uh, you know, little carrots or whatever, or here's, here's a raise we'll give you, you'll get to eat a little extra if you work harder. No, there's none of that going on. These ants are just sort of programmed to keep working hard. So he says, take a lesson from them. In your life, you'll have opportunity to work, work hard. Don't, don't make it to where you have to be driven, you know, pushed to work. You should want it, like you embrace it, run after it. Okay, so that's one lesson from the ants. Um, and we see this, this warning, it's going to come up again in our text that we'll read, that if, as soon as you get the idea that you could kind of fold your hands, take a break, if that becomes the goal of your work, to take a break, that's when poverty pounces on you like a bandit. So there's nothing wrong with taking a break, and we all need rest in our lives, but when your mentality starts to be, how do I get rest and how do I get out of work, well, it's not going to be long, be long before poverty is on you. So let's look at the next text here, chapter 10, verses 4 through 5. Lazy people are soon poor, hard workers get rich. A wise youth harvests in the summer, but one who sleeps during harvest is a disgrace. Now, singles out youth, because all of us start there, right? And that's the moment when our life patterns start getting set. And if, if the summer comes or the opportunity comes and you're like, oh man, I'm just too tired, oh, I'd just rather sleep a little more, you'll ultimate, the, other, the other ants will pass you by um, and you'll miss the opportunities that would help you grow as a person. Ultimately, that laziness will lead you to poverty, but hard work, especially when you're young and setting, the, setting in motion how your life will go, that's the road to wealth. Now, I used to think that hard work was when it was physical, and then like, man, the people in the, at like the desks, they have it so easy. Now that I sit at a desk, I think, man, the people who just get to work outside have it so easy, right? It's a, no matter where you are, you think everybody else is working harder. Um, the, uh, but sometimes I do honestly, I'll, I'll think about how the, the kind of work I'm involved in in ministry, like it's never exactly over. It's not like you mow the lawn and then you get to step back and go, look at the lawn I just mowed. Usually in ministry work, you, something good happens and it just unlocks a bunch of additional responsibility that comes the next day, right? Because it keeps growing. So that's great. Not complaining, just saying, hey, no matter where you're at in life, you, you, you have to embrace with a good attitude the idea of I'm planning to work hard. My goal is not to see how little I can accomplish, it's actually to see how much I can accomplish with whatever time God gives me. Proverbs 12, 24 says, work hard and become a leader, 
be lazy and become a slave. I do think our nation needs to think about this. So I know it's a broad generalization, but if you were just kind of thinking this through, would you say that America as a country, as a culture, is becoming more industrious or more lazy as time goes on? More lazy, which is not a good heading. So I kind of know why this is happening. I mean, we do enjoy technology that makes our life better. So sometimes we can get away with feeling like we do less because the technology will do it for us. So Amazon Prime Day happened a couple weeks ago or last week or whatever. And Melissa came to me to say, look at this. And it was just one of those moments where I knew if I resisted at all, it would be bad news for me. So sure, honey, whatever you want to order is fine. And it was something that she had had her eye on for a long time and it was deeply discounted. It was a artificial intelligence empowered shark vacuum cleaner, the little circle that goes around your house. Okay. And well, okay. I mean, sure. <laughs> you know, I, I really didn't have the option to say no. So, okay, yeah, go, go for it. Uh, we, we work as a team in our finances, but she gets what she wants. You know how that goes. So anyway, I do like it. It's kind of fun. I don't know if it's actually doing as good of a job as the old-fashioned way, but um, it, it's, I feel very accomplished when I push the button and it just starts to work. So I could be sitting on the recliner and it'll be going past me and I'll actually feel like I'm being productive because I, <laughs> I initiated this thing. It, you actually, I don't, know if, how, I don't know if you have one of these, but just like with a pet, it's almost like you start projecting personality onto it. So... Um, a couple nights ago, before I went to sleep, I thought, you know, um, I saw like a little bit of dirt. I thought, oh, I'll push the button before I go to sleep. So I pushed the button, came up the next morning, and it wasn't home, like it wasn't at its little home base. So I wandered around and found it, and it had gotten lost and stuck in a bedroom. And I actually felt bad for it. Like I, and, and here it was, it was, not only was it lost, but it had spent all of itself trying to clean and get out of there, and it was out of power. And I just felt like it's really, really sad. Um, so I, you know, took it back to its home, plugged it back in, it recharged, it's, it's, we're on good graces, or, you know, good terms now. But I think about how technology is, all of it is ultimately to try to make something easier, right? That's why something gets invented. The, the benefit of technology would be if, like, something like vacuuming, if that gets taken off of my plate because of technology... Now I can put something maybe more valuable onto the plate. But where laziness creeps in is when I go, well, the shark robot's going to do it for me, so I'll just not work at all. I'm thinking, you know, maybe in the future they'll be, you push the button and the dishes get done, or you push the button and the laundry gets done. That'd be great. I'm looking forward to that. But the goal of life is not to just get more recliner time out of all that. That would be, if, if those inventions come, they should then free us up to do things that are maybe even more valuable than what the robots can do. So it's just a mentality. It's always going to be true no matter how technologically advanced civilization becomes. If you work hard, you'll become a leader. If you're not willing to work hard, if you're lazy, you'll ultimately become a slave. So here's the next verse. 20, uh, and by the way, we're not hitting every verse. Like if you go through Proverbs... There's a lot more about this subject in this. I'm just kind of giving you the sampling of all the wisdom about wealth and poverty that's in this book. Lazy people don't even cook the game that they catch, but the diligent make use of everything they find. 
So lazy people, like whenever they do encounter money, it's burning a hole in their pocket, they've got to spend it. And, and they're just really not thinking future, they're not particularly thinking about priorities. They might even be kind of wasteful because they're not earning the money in a way that makes them value what they have. And so when they do end up with something, they treat it like it doesn't mean a whole lot. Go to verse um, 4 of chapter 13. Lazy people want much but get little. Those who work hard will prosper. Now, in, as I'm preparing these, believe me, like there's a lot of ideas that, that come that I don't get to share just for sake of time and focus. So I come across a verse like this and I think, well, my goodness, this is a rich target. What do I call out um, here? And I thought, well, just, just for the fun of it, I'll call out daytime TV. Okay? So the people who want much but get little. So my experience with daytime TV is fairly limited. Um, when I go to the dentist office, my dentist has got lots of cool stuff. It's all new. They've put TVs up on the ceiling above where you lay down. So you get all the pain, but you get to watch HGTV as you're in pain. And it's a brilliant thing because it distracts you. And you're watching people, you know, get house renovations in Australia or something. And man, when I come back from the dentist, I'm filled with ideas. Like, we need shiplap, we need to paint everything gray, it's, you know, everything's going to change. And then, you know, life gets in the way of all those dreams. But I feel like when I watch TV like that, which is enjoyable sometimes, there's a place for everything, it, it does make me think like I'm really learning and growing as a person. Because I watched these, you know, rust masters rebuild a car, or I saw someone you know, on a, on a shoestring budget, make a house look beautiful or whatever. But here's the thing I have to remember. If I watch all that stuff, how much value have I added to the world? Zero, right? If I watch all that stuff enthusiastically, how much value am I adding to the world? Zero. At best, that's inspiration or training, but it doesn't actually add anything. So if big chunks of our lives are spent watching other people work, it's not helping us. In fact, it might put us right in the middle of this verse. Wanting much, but getting little. Who is actually out there prospering? Well, the people who work hard. Next verse, 14.23. Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. 18.9, a lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. I had to think about this one for a little while. I mean, wouldn't you think maybe a lazy person would just be neutral? Why would, they be, why would they be thought of as like actively ruining something? If you're lazy, you're just sort of medium. Well, here's at least what I think it's saying. I'm either consuming or producing... In fact, all of us are doing both kind of all the time. If you're consuming more than you produce, you're extracting value out of the world and out of other people. If you're producing more than you consume, you're adding value to other people. So if you're neutral, it is actually consuming what other people will have to provide. So if you think about it, if you're if, you, if your life goal is to sleep more, you're probably sleeping on someone else's couch, someone else's taxes and mortgage, someone else's... Pl if, if, because in the end, 
If you're lazy and you're not productive, you're consuming, you're not adding. So it's something to think about. Now, there's different seasons in life, I realize, when sometimes you say, hey, I'm in a season of life where I can't like produce in the classic sense, like I can't keep doing my job forever. That's, that's great. That's not what the, I don't think this is about whether you're earning a paycheck or not. It's about when your eyes open in the morning, are you aiming for something that God will want you to do, or is your whole life just about how much can I not do? So at every stage of life, whether you're young or old, you can wake up and say, I want to live my life with intentionality. I want to be productive with what God has given me that's right in front of me right now. But if your goal is to see how little production you can do, well, you might be in trouble. All right, 20 verse 4, those too lazy to plow in the right season will have no food at the harvest. Pretty obviously true, right? How about chapter 20, verse 13? If you love sleep, you will end in poverty. Keep your eyes open and there will be plenty to eat. So how many of you love sleep? Oh, okay, a couple honest people. Don't, you don't have to raise your hand for real here. Look at that. Um, if you love sleep in the sense that your goal is sleep, you'll, up, you'll end up ending in poverty. But if you'd say, you know what, I sleep to be energized so that I can work, so that I can go out and live, well, that could lead you to wealth. That could lead you to prosperity. That could lead you to have plenty to eat. Sometimes you do have to literally keep your eyes open, right? I don't like it. I certainly don't like how I feel the next day, but sometimes you just, you know, you're looking at the things you have to do and you're like, you know what? Another pot of coffee and we're going to keep going as long as it takes to get whatever this thing is done. Sometimes you're prying your eyes open because you have to move forward. That would be the, that if you're thinking of like what error to commit, that'd be the better error than oversleeping and ending up not accomplishing anything at all. Almost think of it this way, it's important to earn your sleep, and only you know if you're doing this, but there's something special, like if you think about it, if you work really hard, and you get, you get home from a long day of work, or maybe your work is in the home, and you just think, man, I've just cleaned everything, I've worked so hard today, I can't wait to rest, I can't wait to just go to sleep, that's sleep that you earn, it's different than the sleep that you pursue if you're lazy. All right, chapter 21, verse 25. Despite their desires, the lazy will come to ruin for their hands refuse to work. Some people are allergic to work. Like they get something that almost feels a little bit like work is starting and suddenly they have a reason to get out of that situation. All right, now we're going to look up the last couple of these. One is in chapter 24, verse 30. I really like some of the Proverbs for how colorful the metaphors are. So it puts a picture in your mind, and you can, ex you can imagine exactly what it's saying. So here's one of those, chapter 24, verse 30. It says, I walk by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one with no common sense, and I saw that it was overgrown with nettles, and everything was covered with weeds. Its walls were broken down. Then as I looked, I thought about it, and I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit, and scarcity will attack you like an armed robber. So there's the same lesson again. We learned it first from the ants, now we're learning it from the field of the lazy guy. So I was thinking, what does this look like in my life? Because I don't have a vineyard. I guess I have a field, but I mean, right now it's mowed. It's not always perfect, but I think it, I think it represents whatever you have charge of. 
So if you were just to glance around at your life and say, does this show kind of like excellent work or does this show laziness? I mean, you, you know the answer to that. So you think for, for you kids in the room, you know, maybe for you it's literally just your room. Well, that's a place you can start. Say, I want that, to, I'll, I'll do the hard work, I'll make that an excellent place. And then as you get older, like your scope starts to increase of what you're responsible for, what you're in charge of. And I'm not saying everybody's house has to be perfect and immaculate all the time. The, the point is, are you approaching your life with intentionality and excellence? Or is it really obvious that you're chilling a little too much and there's not actually a lot of productivity happening? So again, we just look at God's word and we say, Lord, I want to follow you in the way that I live. I want to honor you with the things that I have and the things that I do. So the other fun metaphor is in chapter 26, and this is our last one for today. Chapter 26, verse 13. The lazy person claims, there is a lion in the road. Yes, I'm sure there's a lion out there. Lazy people are really good at making excuses for why they're not at work. But this guy, you would think, could come up with a better excuse. Don't you think? I mean, I don't know if lions were just so common that they were normally prowling or whatever back in this time. But I was saying, maybe this would be like us saying, I know there's coyotes out there somewhere. And if I walk out my front door, you never know. Like the chances are better of me not getting bitten by a coyote if I stay in bed. If I walk out the front door... I'm taking a risk, so therefore I'm not going to work, therefore mom and dad can keep paying, or therefore I'll, you know, I'll take the next check, whatever it is. So, so here's the thing, a, a lazy person always has a great excuse for not wanting to take that productive next step. Verse 14, think about this one, as the door swings back and forth on its hinges, so the lazy person turns over in bed. You almost feel bad for him, right? Like, don't, don't injure yourself as you're flipping over. Um, the, the lazy person is just, you know, they, they might, they're, maybe their alarm clock rings, and they're, you know, all their, that kind of represents all the responsibility of the day, but man, you just push that button and flip back over and keep going. Um, and I mean, there are moments when, obviously, we could do a whole other sermon on rest and taking life at the right pace, of course, um, but not today. Today we're talking about work and about making sure that we're making the most of our lives, right? So I actually think about the first, um, the, the, maybe you could almost say kind of the first major mention of work is right there at the very beginning of the Bible when God worked and then God rested. God worked for six days, God rested for one day. And do you remember the Sabbath day commandment, commandment number four? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What's the next component of that commandment? Six days you shall do what? Labor. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, and then you rest the seventh day. So there is a balance between rest and work, but your life does have to include both to be balanced. So we say, Lord, I want to be the kind of person, not that's turning on the hinges every day, I want want to be the kind of person that does wake up and take those days that I'm supposed to be engaged with work and do it and go for it. Um, There's always an excuse for that lazy person. Look at verse 15. Lazy people take food in their hand, but then they don't even lift it to their mouth. So they're waiting for the shark robot 
feeder or whatever that's going to come out. You know, I guess hamsters already have that, so maybe we need that. I guess there are, you know, you have the people with the hats, with the beer that comes in. So we're already almost there. Um, and you got to be careful that you don't look for ways to avoid effort to the point where you just become lethargic as a person. Verse 16, lazy people consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. So here's how you know if that's you. Be careful here. Just count around you the seven wise people who are closest to you in your life. If they all tell you that you should work, but somehow you don't think any of them are right, you're one of these people. You're the lazy person. The seven people around you that care for you, that have wisdom for you, if they're all saying something and you think you're smarter than all of them together, you're the one that's fooling yourself. So rather than looking for excuses, instead we actually wake up and we say, Lord, here's, you know, life isn't just about, like, am I comfortable? Lord, how can I maximize my time? Lord, you've given me gifts and abilities. What can I do with those to serve you, to serve my neighbors, to love the world? How, how can I earn for my family? How can I share with those in need? That's a whole pivot, right? The lazy person's not thinking in those terms. They're thinking, what can I get out of life? A, a wise person who generates wealth is thinking, what can I add to life? How can I add more value to those around me? As listening is to wisdom, so working is to wealth. So how do we gain wisdom? We've talked about this all summer so far. Keep listening. You don't have to be super smart to be wise, you just have to listen. The same thing is true with wealth. You don't have to have some sort of big inheritance to get started, you don't have to be exceptionally skilled. You just start with working. And as you're faithful to work with a great attitude, more opportunities will come in your life to grow. So here are a few positive motivators, and I put this in here because I thought, you know, maybe... So some of you, I would imagine, are receiving all of this and you're going, man, this is great. Because it's kind of like you're already on this track and you're thinking this way, you feel pretty good about all this. There might be a few of you, you don't have to admit who you are, and you think, man, the Bible is beating me up today. Um, well, take the hint, right? I mean, there's, there's a message there for you. But I thought here would be some encouragement. Okay, what would be the motivator to say, I don't want to be lazy, instead I really do want to be productive? Well, there's a few. One is to provide for myself and my family, to honor God, to become generous, which I think is when wealth building actually gets fun. Um, it's really not that fun when it actually all points back to you. Uh, life, it's just very limiting, you know? And so you say, yeah, I want my life to be okay, but the thing, where you want joy in your heart, like if that's what you want, then you start learning generosity, and that comes. Add value to the community. Have a quality lifestyle. Make the most of life. Um, life is a fun adventure if you choose to look at it that way, but if you're always trying to think of how you can get out of responsibility, you'll miss the adventure of what life, of what you were built to do, what God wants you to do. So I wanted to give you a little bonus round here before we dismiss. And that is maybe you are saying, you know what? I would like to increase my income biblically. Now fear not, there's no multi-level marketing pitch coming. Um, and in fact, I want to say, not everything about productivity does relate to money. You could be productive in how you serve, how you parent, how you take care of your own home. You'd be productive in how you have a relationship with God, how you pray. In every category of life, there's an opportunity to either be lazy or productive, okay? 
But the way that usually when we think about this, we're, we're thinking money because money is that the units of value we earn for doing something productive. If you have more money, unless it just happened to you somehow, if you have more money, it means you must have done something to receive it. You must have produced. So I think a great question is, well, if I really do kind of look at all this and think, you know what, it is time to get off the couch and stop turning on the hinge and it's time to make something myself and start working. How does the Bible recommend that I get started? How do I earn more money? So there's three answers. There might be more, but I've got three for you today. One is the most obvious, initiate additional work. Not rocket science here, right? Now, Paul in Acts 18.3 did this. Now, what was Paul's primary job in the New Testament? He was a preacher, a missionary, a writer of the epistles. I mean, he was a pretty spiritual guy. So if anyone would have a great excuse to just say, other people should give me money, Paul had that great excuse, right? And a lot of times people did. They supported him in his ministry so that he could give most of his time to the ministry. But what did Paul do when he did need more money? Does anyone remember? Yeah, tent making. That's, that was his trade. That's what he knew how to do. So when the moment came that he needed extra money, he would find the tent makers in that community. That's what happened in chapter 18. Sit down with them for a few days, make some tents, sell them, and have some cash. So if the Apostle Paul could take on a side gig to earn some money, is it okay for you to do that? Well, of course. If you need more money, if you want to increase your income, the most obvious thing to do is initiate some new work. There's other ways as well. Here's the second one. Invest in projects and businesses. So you might say, you know, it's not exactly for me an issue of like that I could add more hours to my schedule at another job, but I do want to make some investments to earn some money. That would be like the, the woman in Proverbs 31. So we'll get to her later in our series. But she was this amazing, productive, virtuous woman. You can read Proverbs 31 and all about what she was like. She, was, she owned real estate, she was tending vineyards, she was doing all sorts of business activity. She was looking for ways to keep adding value. So you could do that, right? Maybe it's time to just pray and say, Lord, we've been you know, in this situation in our lives for a while. What new investments do you want us to make? What new business venture do you want me to be a part of, Lord? What new, what new objectives should I set for my life? And just having that intentionality can get you started. You never know where that will lead. It might lead right back to what you're already doing. And God just kind of confirms, no, you're making the right investments right now. This is where I want you. Or maybe that exploration will lead you to a whole new pathway or new opportunities. Here's the third thing you can do. And I would give you this, everyone of every age, even, I don't know who the youngest person in the room is, but this is even for you. You could increase your skills. If you want to earn more money, you can be like the guy in Proverbs 22, it says 19 up there. It's actually chapter 22, verse 29. And here's what that scripture says. A competent worker who can find, he will serve kings. The competent worker is the one that has the great attitude, that's willing to do the right hours, that they're willing to give, go all in. If you're the person that has the skills and has the great attitude, you'll get to serve kings. So you look at your boss right now and go, yeah, that's not, that's not my boss right now. Well, what's your pathway forward? Increase your skills so that your opportunities start to increase. 
So this is what's fun is how empowering this is, right? Because you don't have to have a lot of money to start with to do this. You don't have to, you don't have to be particularly skilled to start doing this. You just look at what I have in my hands right now. How do I get better at it? Maybe it leads you to a whole other career path you didn't expect. Probably it will lead you to become even better at the things you're already good at. And that allows you then to take next steps in your career or in your investments. And you get to earn more money as a result. Even if you don't end up earning more money, you get to add more value, which is really what life is about. How do we add value to others for God's glory? How, how do we walk forward with intentionality every day? So I know there's a lot to think about here today. My prayer for you is that if you see any of the evidences of laziness in the way that you've been approaching your job or your home life or your schoolwork, that you would say, you know what, Lord, I, I want to turn the corner, not flip over. <laughs> I want to turn the corner. Uh, I want to start adding more value to the world, and I want to see where you'll take my life if I actually live it on purpose. I believe God built you for amazing things. He gifted you. He's given you all the experiences you have up till this moment. He's given you spiritual gifts and natural talents. He's given you capacity energy, brain power. He's given you all of this for what purpose? Well, for you to use and to maximize. So you look up to heaven and you say, okay, Lord, my life is yours, and I recognize you're calling me out of lethargy and into purpose. You're calling me to make my life count, and every day can be a part of that life counting. So why don't we take some minutes to pray here, um, and as we do, just ask God what he wants us individually to do next, because I don't know the answer for you. All of us are at different ages and stages in here, so what your next step looks like is going to be a lot different than the person next to you, a lot different than me, but together we want to say, Lord, we're doing, we're, we're doing life as you've called us to do it. So let's pray. I just want to guide you through a little prayer exercise here. So Lord, we're here to, together asking you for wisdom about our work, our wealth, our attitudes. So first, as a prayer question, let's contemplate this together. Lord, when it comes to laziness or productivity, what do you want to say to me? Lord, when it comes to next steps that I should be taking in my life, what do you want to say to me? Lord, when I think about the wealth or skills that I already have, Lord, how do you want me to use those for your glory? Lord, is there any area of my life 
inside of which I need to repent from laziness. Lord, your vision for me is a lot bigger than my own vision for me. So today I choose to trust you with my future and my plans. I choose to be that hard worker that doesn't have to be pushed or prodded to do the right thing but the one who's chasing after what's important in this life, who's getting up and getting at it, who's making the time count, the hours count, the minutes count. Lord, I want to be that way, and I know my friends in the room here today all share that desire. You put us on this earth for a reason. You've given us a lot to start with. Help us to go forward, not just for our own benefit, but for your kingdom's purpose. Thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs to instruct us. Would you call it to mind this week as we go forward aiming to be productive? In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. All right, God bless you. We'll see you next week for the next theme in Proverbs.